All right. If you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing our series on transformation. Transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We've been in this uh, series since the beginning of the year, and who knows, we might be in it the entire year. All right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. All right. Father, thank you for our time of worship and fellowship so far this morning. And now as we open your word, we're again reminded that we are sanctified by your word. Your word is truth. And so now we yield and ask you, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to speak to us through Your Word, Lord, and uh, this morning that we would not just be hearers, but ultimately doers. And through the application, Lord, that You would continue to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. So we love You, we love Your Word, and ask You now to accomplish Your will and purpose for each of us here. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, Romans 12, 1 and 2. All right, we've been reading these every week. Therefore, I urge you... Brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? Transformation. We have been on this journey together it's supernatural, right? God says, hey, as a believer, as a, as a Christian, you're not just called to be good and happy, not just called to be a better moral person. Romans 12:2 says we are to be in this process called transformation, metamorphosis, right? And you, I've shown the picture several times of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. And so many of us, we're even challenged at that. Like, wait, wait, okay, wait, time out. I, I thought that being a Christian was saying a prayer, putting your faith in Jesus, and then I just sort of hang on. Then I just sort of do my best and hang on until I get to heaven. And we've learned through this series that, oh, no, 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 no. What did Jesus say? I came to give you life and life abundantly, right? That abundant life is wrapped up in this process of transformation. Right? When you were saved, it was a supernatural act. And then God says, hey, now I want to continue that supernatural work in you in this, series, in this process called transformation, metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. So if you're a believer this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, you and I together are in a supernatural journey. Right? Why is that important? Because tomorrow... Many of you are going to go to work. Or after church, you're going to go home and you're going to deal with people in your house. And bills. And the stuff of life. Right? All this natural, worldly stuff. And if we're not careful, if we lose sight of the fact that we're in a supernatural process of transformation in the middle of all this natural, human, worldly stuff, we can get sucked right down into it. And suddenly our attitude our reactions, and everything conform to the pattern of the world. Whereas he says, no, no, no. You're a new creation in Christ. 
You're indwelt supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. So now you're part of a supernatural transformative process. As you sit here today, this isn't just for, you know, the pastors. This isn't for the special people. Every believer is called to be in transformation. And how long does it last? Till we get to heaven. Till we're done, right? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. All right? So everyone take a deep breath. <sighs> Find some, turn to person. It's a marathon. Just tell them it's a marathon. Right? It's a marathon, right? Because we, we, we tried to tell you, many of us think we want, we want the microwave Christianity, right? Hey, you know, three minutes for you, ten minutes for you, you know. <laughs> Doris, 30 seconds, right? You know, whatever. Right? So, <laughs> right? So, we have this idea that, well, let's just go do a few things, pop me in the microwave, boop, and I'm like Jesus, right? No, no, no. It's a slow it's a slow turn, right? It's a marathon. So we've got to kind of, okay. So we're in this process and we're not in a rush because it is a marathon, but also we've got to understand. We're understanding the core truths that help us succeed in this marathon, right? And that's what we've been doing. So it says, be transformed. Turn to Galatians, right? A few books to the right. Galatians 5. Last week, we focused, it was Valentine's Day, so we focused on the importance of love. God's love in this transformative process, in this metamorphosis, right? In the weeks past, we understood we have to have faith. Faith is resting fully on Jesus, not just of believing in, but, hey, I'm in. I'm all in, right? The Bible says saving faith is demonstrated by what? Works, action, right? Fruit of your life. If you have saving faith in Jesus, your, your life will manifest fruit, Okay? Last week, we saw that there's a third pillar, a third element to this. Look at Galatians 5, 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Love. So we see all three elements. There's faith expressing itself, actions, right? Works. Through what? Love. Love. And on Valentine's Day, we focused on, do we really? Do we really take the time to understand God's love? Do we really? Do we really take the time to understand God's love? Now, okay, I'll just ask this. How many here would say, just show your hand, you love God? Okay, see, that's easy. I'm not going to ask you. So, so, so we, we can, as believers, oh yeah, I love God and I, that's why I'm here this morning. I love God. Don't put your hands up on this one, but how many of us spend just as much time or maybe even more reflecting on the truth that God loves you? Hmm. Hmm. Well, yeah, but the, it's demonstrated on the cross. I get that. John 3.16. Yeah. In the, okay, that's one element, but how many of us this morning spent time in praise and thanksgiving and reflection on God's love for you personally? You're like, well, why is that important, right? Turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to go back a book. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.
Second Corinthians 5, in the context, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking to Christians, to the church at Corinth, explaining his motive for why he does what he does. What compels him? That's the title. What compels you, right? Look at this. Second Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us. Hmm. This is the Apostle Paul explaining to the believers why he and his friends, the motive, the compelling force in their life is Christ's love for them. It's not their love for Christ. It says Christ's love compels us. Hmm. See, if I were to survey you, I would guess that many of you Attend church, read your Bible, serve, give out of your love for Christ, right? Because you love God. But how many of us are compelled by love, Christ's love for you? Now, the Bible says we love because He what? First loved us, right? Everything we do really stems from Him, originates in Him. He loved us, therefore our life is an outflow, our love is an outflow of that. But if we're not careful, we tend to minimize, neglect, even forget that it all begins with His love for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. Apostle Paul, For Christ's love, that's the love of God for Him, for us as believers, for Christ's love compels us. What compels you? This morning, in your life, What's the driving thing? What's the motivating thing? Fear? Finances? A person? What compels you? Because the Apostle Paul in this verse says, Christ's love compels us. Right? And we're going to look at this verse, and we're going we're gonna, to, this week and next week, we're going to really look at this love of God. Do we really grasp the love of God. Beyond John 3.16, Jesus dying on the cross, do we really grasp, has it really taken hold of you and me that God loves you? And that love for you is the compelling force in your life. Why do you do what you do? Why don't you do certain things? What's the compelling force? Why do you do what you do? What compels you to do what you do as a believer? What compels you as a believer to refrain from certain things? Is it the love of Christ for you personally? You know, there's a lot of different motives, and Paul talks about it. We talk about there's accountability there's in front of the judgment seat of Christ and, and different motives for doing what we do, right? Concern for people not spending an eternity separated from God. Those are all good motives. But Paul says here, it's this, the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love of Christ that compels me, right? And turn, turn to second, go to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about what he has suffered as a result of being compelled by the love of Christ. It hasn't been a bed of roses. 
Second Corinthians 11, right? He's talking about his experiences. Let's look at 11.23. says this. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk about this. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Woo! Who wants to sign up for that? And you sit back and go, wow! What, 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 what's up with you? What drives that? How are you able to endure that calling, right? What was it? The love of Christ compelled Paul into this ministry where he endured a whole lot over a pretty lengthy period of time. And so for us, the, the, the challenge as we look at the love of Christ is, is the love of Christ compelling us in our life? Because when we understand the love of Christ, we now become empowered to, to make what we call faith choices. Because the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight, right? So if we want to be transformed, we've understood it's going to require action, which requires choices. Decisions, which are based on faith. When you take the time to understand and reflect upon the love of Christ, it empowers you, it frees you to make faith choices. Because quite honestly, what are many of our choices based on? Feelings and circumstance. Think about it. Much of our life, our choices are based on how we feel or what circumstances dictate. As we follow Jesus in this transformative process, the truth is we're going to have to make faith choices. Obedience to His Word, to His revealed will, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's going to require faith. Because quite honestly, you're not going to know how it plays out. You're not going to know all the time what the end product's going to be. He's going to call you to do something. He's going to call you to make a choice, a decision in your life, which is different from what you've known, what you're comfortable with, what you feel. And you're going to have to step out in faith. What's going to compel you? What's going to drive you at that moment when you're, you're at a crossroads? And you're like, Lord, this is what I feel. This is what the circumstances are telling me. But this is what your word says. This is what the faith choice would be. At that moment, what's going to compel you? What's going to motivate you? What's going to be the force that says, okay, despite my feelings, despite my circumstances, I'm going to take the faith. I'm going to, I'm going to walk by faith. It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. If you look in your notes... Let's turn to Ephesians 3. 
We looked at this at the end of last week, Galatians, Ephesians, right? A couple books to the right. The Apostle Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus. Ephesians 3, we'll read starting in verse 14. It says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, Ephesians 3.14, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, the Apostle Paul is praying that the believers in this church, in this city, would know the love of God. The love of God. And what's interesting, if you're comfortable writing, circling, underlining, there, um, there's a word in uh, verse 18, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp. You may want to you may want to highlight underline that word grasp. Because that word grasp makes all the difference to understanding what he's really saying. Now, there's a word comprehend, right? I put it in your notes, comprehending versus apprehending. To comprehend is kind of like to mentally understand something. It's believing in. We talked about this believing in versus believing, right? So he's not just saying, hey, I want you to mentally understand the love of God, right? Because many here would say, yeah, right? How many here would say, God loves me? You mentally understand that. And, oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. That's the love of God. I get that. I mentally get that, right? What he's saying here in that word grasp, he's saying, I want you not just to comprehend it. I want you to apprehend it. I want you to apprehend it, which it says there, to make something yours. To make something yours. Right? A word picture is like a monkey with a tail that can wrap around a, a tree limb and grasp it like this. He says, hey, if you're going to be compelled by the love of God, it's beyond just mental assent. you got to make it yours. you got to make it yours. You have to comprehend it. Sure, read the Bible. Understand it. But then apprehend it. Make it yours. Grasp it. Grasp it, right? And then he says, keep, keep going down in, in verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That word know, gnosko, is experiential knowledge. When he's talking about that, you'll, that word know in the Bible is also reference to a husband and wife when they know each other in sexual intimacy. That knowing, it's experiential. It's not just head knowledge. So he's saying this, hey, Church, I want you to grasp and I want you to experientially know the love of God. I want you to grasp it. I want you to make it yours. And I want you to experientially know it. Hmm. Kind of easier said than done, huh? And why is that? Because it sounds so good. 
In fact, in the church, one of, one of the challenges as I was thinking of, of the church is, is we sometimes, you know, you hear things happening in the church and the pendulum kind of swings this way and this way. And, and one of the things I think that's happened is because there was a season in the church where it was become very science-oriented and very experiential, the church kind of swung way over here. Now we're just going to be very intellectual and very academic and very systematic in our theology. We're just going to make sure we get it right. Well, in our desire to be right and orthodox and all of this, we forgot the experiential part. It's okay. He says he wants you to experience, experience, experientially know the love of God. Right? Time to pick on people. Right? So, if you've joined us, you know I like that. Mark. You gave some great answers. I know you thought you were far enough away that he's like, I'm going to change seats. Maybe he won't recognize me. I know. But you gave such good answers last week. Mark said last week when I asked him how the love of his wife towards him made him feel. Right? I remember this. I said, Mark, how does it make you feel? Or how did it make you feel way back when you first really believed that Kathy loved you? And I believe the word was confidence, security, and peace. Right? It wasn't just an academic exercise. Well, thank you, Kathy, for loving me that way. I really appreciate that. I will tuck that away here. Was it experiential? Did you experience some, some joy in that? Right? Wasn't it? Did it well up a response in you back towards her? Right? It was experiential. Her love towards him and him believing it and receiving it created a wonderful, positive experience. Have you experienced that love of God in your life? Have you allowed yourself to experience it? And you think, well, why wouldn't you? Well, because we got hurt. Someone said they loved me and they betrayed me. Someone said they loved me and they hurt me. See, at the human level, see, Romans, remember Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. See, some of us are challenged in, in, in experiencing the love of God and it becoming a compelling force. It's because you've had some bad experiences at the human level. And maybe you're resistant and you don't even know you're resistant. Maybe you're not just like, oh, yeah, Lord, you know, Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, uh, not mine. What's wrong with me? And I've been working through this and even my own life. And I'm like, Lord, why is it a challenge for, or even for me at times or for others to simply receive and rejoice in the love of God? We're scared. Wounded? Anxious? Don't know what that means? Don't want to open ourselves up again? So it's interesting because some of our experiences at the human level are actually limiting our experience of God at the supernatural level. Right? The love of Christ. Do you know it? I know you would have learned that there's a cross. I know you would say, yeah, of course God loves me. He sent Jesus. 
Do you know it? Do you experience it? Does it make you smile? Does it? And if not, if you want to be in transformation, you may need to ask yourself and spend time and ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on in my heart? Why can't I just receive it by faith according to what your word says? And you might find out that there's some stuff. There's some stuff that you're feeling, some stuff that happened. And he says, okay, here's the faith choice. The faith choice is to receive it. I love you. I love you. I love you. (sighs) Right? And why is it important? Look, Look in your notes there. Last week, we talked, or last year, we ended with this um, series on knowing God's good, the goodness of God. Look at the quote I put there in your notes by Larry Crabb. When I am not convinced that God is good, I will quietly, but with tight-lipped resolve, take over responsibility for my own well-being. When I am not convinced that God is good, I will quietly but with tight-lipped resolve take over responsibility for my own well-being. I read that, I brought out those notes again, and I thought, you know what, that applies to the love of God. When I am not convinced that God loves me, I will quietly but with tight-lipped resolve take over responsibility for my own well-being. See, to walk by faith and not by sight, here's, here's the key, guys. It takes trust. It takes trust. Scotty, I need you. We talked about faith. It's not just believing in. Biblical saving faith is, is being all in, resting fully on Jesus. The only reason I'm doing this is because I trust this guy. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> And I know he loves me. So I can leave. I mean, there you go. I'm all in. With my other foot. <laughs> why, why, why would I even think of this? Because I love this guy and I know he loves me. We have years together. It's trust. The love of Christ is directly related to my and your ability to trust him. To trust him. To trust Him to make faith choices with your relationships. To trust Him to make faith choices with your money. To trust Him to make faith choices with forgiveness issues. To everything. When you're called to make faith choices in following Jesus, in the end, you're going to have to trust God. And what helps and what kind of determines your level of trust? Do you believe He loves you? Do you believe God loves you? You. We talked about it all the last quarter of 2015. Do you believe God is good? All the time. And God wants your good. Same question. Do you believe God loves you all the time? And wants your best all the time? Do you believe God loves you? Because if you do, you'll trust Him. You'll trust Him. At the front end, well, Lord, okay, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I believe you love me, therefore I trust you, therefore I'll take the first step. I'll get out of the boat. 
the love of Christ for you and for me is directly related to our trust. Now for some, maybe where you're at in your walk with the Lord, maybe in your, you've had really good, loving, healthy relationships growing up, so God's love for you, based on other human, positive, wonderful, loving relationships, you receive it pretty, pretty easy. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. Right? Just talking with Wes this morning. God has worked in Wes's life, and he's at a really good place right now where the issue's pretty much settled. Wes, you believe God loves you. All the time. He's not perfect, but he's settled that issue. And Wes is one of his wonderful phrases around here. Oh, it's simple. Just follow him. Well, see, why does Wes say that? Well, because he settled the issue of God's love for him. So even when he's challenged in a faith choice, because Wes has settled the God loves me and God is good all the time for me personally, experientially, he's grasped it. Wes goes, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's not easy, but it's fairly simple. Because he's decided on the front end to, by faith, believe in the love of God. Believe in the love of God. Right? Look, look at these verses. It's very powerful. Turn to um, John 15. When we were talking about God's goodness and how it creates doubt, there's a reference on your notes to, to Genesis 3. Remember the fall when, when the, Satan came in the form of the serpent? What was he really doing with Eve? Getting her to doubt God's goodness. He was attacking God's character. And once he got that doubt about God's nature and character, well then, he had her. Well, God knows when you eat of it, you're going to be just like him. He's not really that good. He's keeping something from you. See? The devil was accusing God's goodness. That's the power of it. That's why we have to settle God's goodness and we have to settle the love of God for us. Because it goes to the core of trust and obedience. The core of it, right? Look at John 15.9. This is one of those verses that you could... Spend a whole lot of time reading and reading and praying and reflecting on John 15:9. Jesus is talking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Who's he talking to? His disciples, and then an extension of application to who? Believers. Look at this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How many of you sort of assume that Jesus and his father had a pretty good relationship? Anyone? How many of you sort of believe that that love thing was pretty darn cool that they were sharing? What does this verse say? As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. What? What? Jesus is saying, hey, the way that my father loves me, I love you. See, at the human level, I get it. 
but I don't know if I get it. As a believer in Jesus, He loves you the same way that His Father loves Him. That's what the Bible says. So, so at a certain point, I and you have to acknowledge all the, maybe the bad experiences we've had in love and humans saying they love us, good, bad, or otherwise. At a certain point, you recognize that and then you've got to look at John 15, 9. And you've got to ask yourself, which one will I choose to believe? Amen? See, the Bible says, Jesus It's in red letters in some of them, right? As the Father has loved me, so what? Who does that apply to? If that applies to you, put your hand up. Confidently! Come on now. Oh, I think it's me. Uh, (laughs) Right, buddy? Right? Is that a woohoo moment? It's got to be a woohoo moment. As His Father loves Him, Jesus loves you the same way. The same way. If you have ever, ever wondered, would someone love me? Can someone just love me? When you put your faith in Christ, who loves you? How? In the same way His Father loves Him. One hundred perfectly. And that's not it. Look at this. Look, turn to John 17. Turn to John 17. Look what he prays. John 17:26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. So who's he praying? What's he praying there? He's talking about his disciples. He's talking to his father. I have made you, Father, known to them, my, my, my believers, my followers, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you, Father, have for me may be in them. Whew. So it's in John fifteen nine, Jesus loves us the same way His Father loves Him. And then two chapters later, He says, Hey, and by the way, Father, will you you let them know how much you love them? He kind of steps out of the picture. And He says, Here, Father to believers, I want them to know your love. I want them to know your love. And Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is poured out in our hearts by who? The Holy Spirit. Do you know the love of God? Are you open to just experiencing it? based And just receive it based on the truth of Scripture. Based on the truth of Scripture. I love you, Jesus says, the same way my Father loves me. I can get all Greek on you and make it really complicated, but I can't. I can't overcomplicate that. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are loved with a heavenly love. The same love that the Father and Son are experiencing, you're now in that loop. You're in the loop! 
You're not on the outside wishing that you could be part of the cool group. You are the cool group. You're in. You're the church. You're the church. That's the love of Christ. That's what He wants you to know, right? And then there's a response when we get this, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5.14 in more depth next Sunday. That's why the Apostle Paul says, it's the love of Christ that compels me. It constrains me. It controls me. When you allow the Holy Spirit to pour out God's love and you begin to grasp it and you begin to understand it experientially, you know what happens? You're free. You're free. Because you're just overwhelmed with the love of God for you. How many of you here have ever done something kind of crazy because you love someone? Right? Out of love. You're like, whoa, I can't believe I did that. Right? You might even look back in retrospect and go, wow, I did that. And you're like, well, why did you do that? Because I was in love. Right? Because I was in love. I, I don't know, just love made me do it. Right? So at the human level, we kind of know what it is to be so overwhelmed with love that you want to express it to somebody. Now take that supernaturally vertical. What would happen in your life and in my life if we just take the time to meditate and reflect upon the love of God in a very personal, personal, individual way and grasp it? Grasp it. Jesus loves you the same way that His Father loves Him. I still try to... Yeah, right? You're like, there's something uncomfortable about that. I don't know why. Maybe we feel unworthy. I don't know. That's, it's just biblical truth. And this is where, by faith, we receive it. And you begin to walk in it. We're to walk in love. The Bible says walk in love. Are you walking in the love of Christ? Are you walking in the love of God? Does Christ's love compel you? constrain you, move you. We're going to look at that this verse much more depth next week. What does that mean when he says compels me? This morning, we'll close with Galatians. Turn back to Galatians. 2.20. Look what he says here. Galatians 2.20. I, the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, putting your faith in Christ and entering into a relationship with Him as a child of God that's just the start of the love relationship. See, I'm privileged in what I do to perform wedding ceremonies. But see, when I perform the wedding ceremony, that's just the beginning of a potentially wonderful marriage relationship. It's just the start. And when you put your faith in Christ and you became adopted into His family as His child, you know what? It was just the start of a beautiful love relationship. It was just the start. And He wants you to know 
He wants you to grasp. He wants you to experience His love in ever-increasing ways and then to let your life just manifest it. So if people are, you know, say, you know, what's, what's going on at OVCF? What are you guys about there? You know what we're about here? The love of God compelling us. That's kind of the heartbeat of it. We understand we love because He first loved us. We love Him and we love each other. That's kind of what we're about here. The love of Christ compels us. Compels us. Moves us. Keeps us in line. Keeps us straight. It's the love of God. Manifested in so many different ways. That's what we're about here. And so we're going to take communion like we always do. But here, here's what I want you to do. right? Because communion, why do we take it every week? It's a reminder of Christ's love for who? Okay, make it personal. It's a reminder of Christ's love for me. See, one of the things that, 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 that we always try to put out there is like, oh, let's do communion every week. My biggest challenge in my prayer for all of us is that it never becomes rote and ritual and religious. Well, that's what we do. No, 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 no. The reason we end the service with communion here is for you to have a moment of reflection and prayer and thanksgiving. Eucharist means thanksgiving personally. Personally. This is the time, honestly, where you've got to forget who you're here with. And when you come forward and you get the cups, take it back and make it personal. See, communion is one of God's ways to get you to experientially know His love. When you hold the cups... You go, for me? For me? You love me? Remember last week? You love me when I was a sinner, ungodly, your enemy? For me? No one ever loved me like that. I was raised in a world where it's all conditional and it's all performance and it's all imperfect and people hurt me out of it, saying they love me. And you hold these cups and you're like, for me? When I was ungodly and your enemy for me? That's why we that's why we celebrate communion. Because it's the love of God. And so I encourage you, when you when you come up and that's why that's why even we say go back to your seats and, and you take communion on your own, there's some things that I just gotta get out of the way. And let you have time with the Lord of reflection, of prayer, of thanksgiving, of love. That's why we do communion. And so this morning when you come forward, there's two cups and you go back. Spend time. The Apostle Paul said the love of Christ compels him. Maybe this morning, God brought you here because He knew that you needed to be reminded that He loves you. He loves you. Because you're his child. He just loves you. And he wants you just to sit and receive that love. Just receive it. Because it's already true. Because of who you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And what we've heard this morning, 
the Apostle Paul said that the love of Christ compelled him. And Father, I know that there are many here that love You, desire to serve You, desire to please You, desire to honor You with their life. But Lord, sometimes in the busyness of church and in the busyness of serving and in the busyness of giving, sometimes we forget to stop and be reminded of Your love for us. in a very broad sense of Jesus dying for us, but Lord, even very, very individually, very, very personally, You love me. And the crazy thing is in John 59, You say You love me the same way that Your Father loves You. And that's just overwhelming. We feel unworthy as a human. I don't even know if we can fully fathom that, but the Bible says it, so we receive it as truth. You love me the same way that your Father loves you. So this morning, we really want to experience your love. We take this time of communion to remember you, Jesus. Remember your love demonstrated at the cross. But maybe as we sit here holding the cups, the Holy Spirit will pour out your love into our hearts. And we'll rest, we'll rest in the peace, the confidence, the security of being a child of God, loved by our Heavenly Father perfectly. And if you're here this morning and you have never responded to the love of Christ by putting your faith in Christ first, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. Saving faith. Resting fully on the finished work of Jesus at the cross. If you've never done that this morning, put your faith in Jesus. The Savior. Your personal Savior. Having died for your sins. And if you're here and you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time and maybe you've you've just sort of become numb to the love of Christ, Maybe this morning you just ask God to forgive you. And to come back and rest in His perfect love for you as His child. So Lord, we give you this time of communion now. In Jesus' name, Amen.